My name is Ilan Haimov, and I'm a partner and the department head of the Profit Participation Group at GHJ. Welcome to our latest podcast on current trends in the motion picture and television financing, which includes a periodic discussion with two distinguished guests and friends, including Randy, head of the Entertainment Industries Group uh, at Bank of America, and Chris, who is a partner and head of the Entertainment and Media Practice at the law firm of Aiken Gump. It's great to connect with you both again. Thanks for joining us. Since we last spoke in the fall, so much has been going on, including, and I actually put a list together, the crowded streaming field becoming more competitive, challenging to maintain profitability and subscription base, the continued macroeconomic challenges like inflation, uh, which may or may, you know, it impacts all of us, you know, including consumers on the one hand, and obviously the financing of production and distribution, and hearing both from clients as well as experts in the industries. You know, my understanding is that content creators in particular are beginning to get less orders. There's less coming in. And that may mean maybe we need to focus more on scrutiny and control over cost. We may be faced with higher production costs and, and many other challenges, uh, perhaps even labor costs. As we are now looking deeper into 2023, what I want to really us to focus on is really getting your vantage point and your thoughts as to the current challenges and opportunities uh, for those content creators in particular, and maybe even investors who are involved in the motion picture and television business that we're in. So with that, I thought it'd be great, Chris, for you maybe to kick things off, you know, from your again vantage point, what decision makers, you know, the CFOs, the CEOs, those who really make decisions in our industry uh, particularly those who are involved with producing content, should be considering as part of their plans for the rest of the year? Yeah, thanks for having us, Alon. Um, and that's a great question. I will break my kind of thoughts on that down into three bullet points. So in the short near term, which it's been a while since we've had a good strike, I think the kind of any potential guild strike is something that should be kind of front and foremost in everyone's mind from investors, content creators, producers, distributors, and everyone in between, depending on the guild and kind of what a, what a strike looks like that could have effects for, you know, obviously scripts that aren't finished on the film side, you know, writer's room on the television side. And, you know, obviously if there's a, you know, SAG after strike, actors don't work. I, that just kind of, I think it's been a while for that. So we've kind of kind of deal with what's right in front of us and we haven't had that on the table for a while. So I think as producers are planning their budgets and their kind of schedules and everything. I, I think that's just like key and crucial to keep in mind because that can, you know, poor planning can result in a film not going or or kind of going at the wrong time or, you know, heaven forbid you start a film, get halfway through, and then for some reason you have a, a labor issue due to a potential guilt strike and, and kind of that could end up being a complete loss. So in the near term, I think that's something that everyone should be very cognizant of when they're planning. You know, and then kind of two 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 thing trends that I'm kind of noticing. You know, for longer term, one is kind of the uh, you know I'll call it the choices for and, and and thinking about a release pattern. Which you know you mentioned streaming and right. I mean, in in a one year period, we've gone from everyone's going to throw all of their resources and unlimited amount of them into streaming to oh wait maybe you know we need to think about some more things besides just streaming to you know well maybe now theatrical which we wrote off as dead three years ago is now maybe maybe not dead right and that's that's something that's in the trades virtually daily and it is true that there is becoming a you know a crowded market in streaming so i i think in terms of 
to a certain extent, it's kind of what money that streamers or studios want to leave on the table. And I think just when content creators and producers are producing their project, that's just important to keep in mind, right? You know, there's this, this theory that, hey, everything has to either be like a massive budget movie or something that's going to go straight to streaming. And I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's wrong, but I think you will see, especially as kind of streaming matures and Knives Out, Glass Onion is a perfect example of something that was kind of like released and actually did pretty well in the theaters and, you know, probably would have made a lot more money if it stayed in the theaters for a little longer. And again, I don't have the secret formula or algorithm for Netflix, but, you know, I think that there'll be a lot more experimenting on that front from streamers. So I think that's just something to keep in mind for content creators. And then the last point, and I'll I'll, I'll then stop and let Randy talk because I tend to ramble on is, you know, I'll call it kind of like a talent prong in combination with an influx of capital, right? So in the last year, and, and, and again, nothing super new, but we've seen a ton of money come in and it's a lot of it is around kind of expansion plans centered around, you know, what would traditionally be talent. So plan B and media one, Artist Equity with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon being funded by Redbird Capital, even North, you know, North Road getting a huge influx of capital around Peter Chernin, and kind of, you know, the list goes on. So I'm sort of optimistic and positive on those type of companies and that influx of capital being, you know, however you want to look at it, you know, clearly, you know, not like a new kind of studio type system, but in an area where talent and and A level projects will congregate that is in a non-traditional studio ecosystem. And, and I think that is an exciting opportunity for for content creators and producers that, you know, we'll look forward to see how that evolves in the next in, in the coming year and, and years after that. Thank you, Chris. Randy, do you want to add any additional comments? I know that uh, we have another topic we want to go through, but I just want to get your reaction if you have any additional comments. No, I mean, I agree with Chris. You know, you think about like the money coming in, like he mentioned, you know, these are a lot of these guys are institutional guys. Right. When you look at a Redbird, and, you know, if the economy is if we call it struggling, I don't know if it's struggling yet, but if we call it that struggling, you typically don't see those kinds of guys pouring in money into our, into any space. Right. So for them to do it right now is, you know, it has to make us feel pretty good if you're a content creator. Chris's second point was about the streaming stuff. You know, it, it remains to be seen who's around like in, you know, two or three years. But right now, I think you mentioned like, people are buying less content, the streamers. I think they are, but they're also buying different content. I mean, if you talk to people, they're like, hey, look, we're licensing a ton of rights to Netflix, right? We're licensing foreign. So as far as like actual money coming into the system, it's equal. It's just, they're not really doing originals and spending a ton of money on specific projects. But I think the fact that they're you know buying stuff is gonna keep our kind of business healthy. Yeah, it's it's almost like you have a balancing act between comp- being competitive and making sure you you acquire the best quality content to pull the streamers in, while at the same time you you have to contain costs. So I think it's it's just this pull and push goes goes on in the marketplace right now. Let me jump to this second question, which I Randy, I wanted you to lead again for those those who have to make decisions about okay, we're going to put our money on, we're going to put our bets on this. We're going to put our energy and effort here and not there. All of those people who are making those decisions from a budgeting perspective for the rest of the year and even beyond, what ideas or what risk mitigation recommendations you may have? And maybe, Randy, you can start that off or and then, Chris, you can add on. Some ideas of what should they be thinking about 
from recommendations, uh, again, at the high level, uh, in order for them to deal with some of these challenges we've discussed that Chris was was really good in detailing. Yeah, I, I can start. And Chris, I don't have three bullet points, so I'll just uh, I'll just jump right into it. You know, what I, I tell everyone right now is there are so many balls in the air, like so many things that can happen that are maybe bad for the overall like economy or for the market. So you think about, you know, we talked about inflation. Yeah, inflation's still out there. It's not what we thought it would be. So it's, it hasn't reduced to the point where we feel comfortable that there will not be a recession. So when you couple that with what Chris mentioned earlier, you know, guild strikes, it looks like there could be a guild strike on the horizon. And then the last point is, frankly, bank capital has been scarce for the last six months. You, if you have those three big bullet points, you know, the first thing I tell people is like, if you want to act, you should act now because the stuff is coming three, six, nine months later. If you need to put together a financing vehicle, you should do it now. Banks are shockingly lending at like pretty decent rates historically. So from a perspective of if you were actually going out to get bank financing, structures are actually, I mean, you could argue that structures are even more aggressive than they were two years ago, three years ago. So from that perspective, it's a good time to do it. From a cost perspective, I don't think there are many people saying, hey, we think rates are gonna go down. Like pretty much everyone thinks rates are going to go up. So how do you mitigate that? You know, we would recommend you maybe get into an interest rate swap or FX uh, rate swaps just to mitigate the risk of, you know, these big fluctuations that could happen in the market. And the last thing I would say is, you know, it's about relationships. So I, I would shore up your banking relationships and go out to them now. You know, it's it's probably not a good time to, be going out and saying, hey, you know, I want to go out to a, a brand new bank group, people that don't have experience working with me, right? If you're actually going out to financing, relationships matter, track records matter, and uh, you should probably do it sooner rather than later is a, the advice I would give. I like Randy plugging the the, the interest rate swap and cap uh, products yeah. for Bank of America. Excellent work, Randy. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. But, 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 but Alon, just to echo that, I mean, you know, Randy is right. I mean, we, you know, you've seen interest rates have gone from like historic lows to kind of, again, not, I mean, maybe for my career, historic highs, but um, in a really short period of time, and that actually does put a lot of stress and pressure on budgets of films. Cause you know, even on a 18 month production period, you know, interest rates go up four or 4% in that period of time. And it's a big number, which again, what we've started to recommend for a lot of our clients, both producers and on the financing side to, you know, an interest rate cap is actually a pretty pretty easy, not super, not, not overly costing product to, to kind of alleviate that risk. So it's kind of one of those where people have not been used to thinking about a rising interest rate environment for the past 15 years. And we, we now live in that world. No, I actually want to go back to that, uh, the FX uh, swings around the world. I think that may be an item I wanted to highlight because I'm hearing that from, uh, from different CFOs out there who are seeing maybe the overall international market impacting different territories differently. And as a result, I think that that may be a challenge, especially as production is moved more and more overseas. And I think that's that's a very good point. By the way, Randy, you brought up. I do see a challenge though. And I think the challenge does come down to many of the buyers of, of the content, a lot more sophisticated and know what they're looking for. They, they've, got, they've got their algorithms. They know what they want. And very often, 
these are really expensive projects. And if you get those, if you're lucky enough to get those, the one thing I just wanted to add, and I don't know if just wanted to maybe go back to you, Chris, whether you're seeing a lot more scrutiny from the buyer of the of the product where as much as you think you have the freedom to you know, apply the cost where you think it's going to create more content, creativity, quality, the other side is going to be challenging you and watching the dollars very, very carefully. I think perhaps that may be something to consider as we as we look for the rest of the year. So it does more scrutiny, it seems, from the outside buyer onto the product that the content creators are putting together. But I do I do want to just see if there's any 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 closing uh, remarks maybe from Chris or Randy. Any any final word of advice that you want to share? Chris, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, look, I, to answer your question, I mean, I do think, look, there is some real realization and has been, I mean, everyone, again, I think sort of COVID is at least in our business, maybe not, you know, maybe not in the greater world, but kind of create a level of cooperation where kind of everyone understands that there's, you know, going to be increased costs because of COVID, you know, in budgets that just kind of like is the reality of the world. But I mean, yeah, I think buyers are, you know, I, I think it's more, it's almost in a, both a good and a bad way, it's almost a more binary calculation. Like, look, if we can do this particular project for $20 million with all the COVID costs creatively, how the creatives want to do it and kind of, you know, make sure people get the, the compensation that they want to produce it, then we'll do it. And if that number is going to be 21, then we can't, right? Like, and so I, I think that's more of the, you know, that that's kind of more from the uh, distributor's perspective, like kind of what we're looking at, you know, more like, you know, hey, this is the hard ceiling here, given the, the world and the environment that we live in. So, you know, producers that are excellent at managing costs and kind of, you know, traditionally come in under contingency, you know, at or under budget, I, I think that's like a real benefit to them. And if you're kind of are traditionally not in that space, then yeah, I think that's a little bit of a of a problem these days. Right. And Randy, anything else you wanted to add before we close? Yeah, I mean, I would I would be somewhat concerned about headwinds is basically what I would add. I would say, I like how the year's starting now, but I am worried about where we're going to end up in six, nine, 12 months. So, you know, if, if you have the ability to lock down capital or lock down whatever else, you, you know, you, you think you need to do, it wouldn't be a terrible time to do it. You could always, you know, people get worried. They're like, well, if I like uh, commit to doing something, commit to a facility, a credit facility, you know, what happens if things change? You know, there's a thing called refinancing. Like you could fix whatever you did wrong, but if you aren't able to do and actually commit to something and actually do it, you know, if you wait and things get worse, you might not have the opportunity to fix anything. Well, well said, Randy. You know, I really like the way you closed the the conversation. Wanted to close with again, thank you both for doing this with me. Uh, we hope to reconnect with you later on in the year and see how it all went. And wanted to thank everybody for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Alon. We'll do a summer session. <laughs> Great, thank you, Elon.